Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you all and welcome everyone who's watching online as well. I'm glad you're all here, and uh, I know God is with us. Um, you know, I don't know how many were here last week, but uh, Brett Wagner had our message last week, and it was an excellent message. It was on the ten virgins, and how do we get the, the Holy Spirit? How do we get that oil? And um, today we're going to kind of spin off of that a little bit, and... Uh, go another step in the process. And so uh, today, our sermon title is uh, Satisfied. And I'm going to just ask you a question to begin with, and I want you to think about it. And uh, and then I'm going to go into some other stuff, and we'll come back to that question. But the question is, are you satisfied with your relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior? Are you satisfied where you're at? So think about that a little bit. And uh, I would like to share three different stories today with you, actually four. One is about me a little bit. But uh, the first story that I want to share with you if you'll turn to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to go to the very first chapter. Okay, if I can ever get there. All right. So uh, Nehemiah, he uh, he had to make some decisions in his life, and it begins in in verse one. It says the words of Nehemiah the son of uh, Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that. Hanani, one of the brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left in the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the water gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass... When I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. He sat down and he wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So what do you think is going on here with Nehemiah? Do you think that by chance... That God is asking, is, is telling Nehemiah something here. And, uh, you know, he just heard what was happening um, to those who had escaped. And that the walls and the, and the, and the, and the procedure of building 
rebuilding was not going any forward. But here he heard. He heard what was going on. And what did he do? What did he do about that? What was his first reaction? I mean, there was a heartfelt action because he started to weep. And then what did he do? He prayed. He prayed to the God in heaven. And he said, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. So he went to his knees and he prayed. Which I pray before thee now, day and night. Was it a five-minute prayer? His whole heart, mind, and soul was reaching out to God. For the children of Israel, that thy servants uh, of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. So he didn't exclude himself from this. For we all are sinners and we all have come short of the glory of God. And in verse 11 it says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name because Nehemiah wasn't the only one praying. There were other people who were praying. He said, who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. All right, so here we have Nehemiah, and he just told us that he was the king's cupbearer. How do you think Nehemiah got to be the king's cupbearer? Did he go to college for this? Did he work his way through the political party in the hierarchy of the kingdom? Was he of royal blood? You know what I think? I think God put him in that position as a cupbearer. Because God had a plan long before he was a cupbearer. And so... For this plan to proceed, there was some, an ingredient that hap, had to happen, had to go in. And that ingredient was his heart. There was a thought placed in his heart, in his mind. And this thought was so troubling that he wept and he prayed to God. And it, and it caused communion between him and his God. And for him to have some faith in all this, because... Now we go to chapter 2, and it says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Do you suppose it's a good thing for a cupbearer to be sad in the presence of the king before he gives him his wine? Probably not so, because... The cupbearer, one of his responsibilities is to make sure that wine is good stuff, that it's not poisonous. And if you're about ready to drink that wine and uh, your cupbearer is not feeling too good about it, you're probably going to wonder what's going on. So it says, Wherefore the king said unto me, 
Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? He knew he was healthy. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. Did the king read into Nehemiah's heart? You know, um, sometimes we are put in positions with divine appointments. This here is a divine appointment. And Nehemiah said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should, not my, why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste and the gates are of are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? And guess what Nehemiah did? Did he just blurt out the request? Did he throw everything out there? He sent a prayer up to God. You know, it wasn't a 10-minute long prayer, but it was connection with God. And that's what we need to do daily in our lives because there can be those moments when things happen so quickly. And if we're not used of talking to our God, if we're not used to laying everything before him, we might bypass that and end up trying to do it on our own. And that doesn't work very well. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And then the story goes on. But I'm not going to go further in the story because my point here is what did Nehemiah do? What did Nehemiah do? He prayed. He turned to his father. And he didn't try to figure this out all on his own. But God gave him this plan. Now I'd like us to turn over to the book of Esther and go to chapter 4. And I find this to be an incredible story because I've heard talks on Esther before and I've, you get the complete salvation, uh, the plan of salvation in the book of Esther. It's just absolutely incredible. But as we kind of look at the tail end of uh, chapter 3, which we won't go into, but I'll just give you kind of an overview here, is uh, Haman, who was in the king's, uh, one of his, um, I can't remember what it was. Was he a scribe or, no, he wasn't. Anyway, he uh, worked for the king, and he did not like Haman. And so he kind of, kind of almost tricked the king into believing that this Haman is a bad, or that this Mordecai, Mordecai is a bad person. And so, um, and, and the, all the Jews were, a bad, were bad people, and they needed to be destroyed. So the king made a decree. And it says in verse 12, Then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants. So this death decree went out for the whole Jewish nation. And Mordecai, like Nehemiah, what did he do? He went to his knees, but he... He put on sackcloth and ashes 
And he went before the king's gate. For he couldn't go through the king's gate, but he went before the king's gate. And he cried. He cried with a loud and bitter cry. And it came even before the and he came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into it. In verse 3 it says in chapter 4, and in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. In chapter 3, we have this order that went out, this decree. In the beginning of chapter 4, we have this response. And Mordecai's response was to go to God and to give it to the Lord. But did he try to be quiet about it? No. He cried bitterly with a loud cry before the king's gate. And as we look at verse 4, it says, So Esther made... So Esther's maids and chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away the sackcloth from him, but he received it not. You know, I, I know in my life, and probably in your lives, I'm sure, that we've been in tough places. We've been, we've had emotional stress in our lives. And sometimes when that happens, we try to fix it ourselves and we try to go and do something about it or try to cover it up. Because here, Esther sent clothing, some clean clothes, nice clothes to put on Mordecai, thinking that's going to fix the problem. But in our own lives, we might go out and we might buy a car we might, we might go out and buy some new clothes or some new shoes or, or whatever the case might be to cover up the hurt that is existing within us. But you can't cover it up. You can't we can't fix it. But this was kind of God talking to Esther here. And she kind of was in denial. Because we do that. We'll go into denial about a situation. But it says here in verse 5, Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Atak went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasures for the Jews to destroy him. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given unto Shushan to destroy them. To show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. So here we have the message that came from Mordecai, which is also 
a question or a commandment. Basically coming from God. Something that Esther heard now. And it came to her because she is in a position to do something about it. But the thing is, Esther has to make a decision. And so as she's thinking about this and she's shocked when she hears this, she, has, she comes up with an excuse. As we, as we do in our daily lives, we come up with excuses why we can't do this or we can't do that. And so as we look at verse 11 in chapter 4, it says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether a man or woman, shall come unto the king in the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live, but I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. So, what would be going on in your mind? What would you think would be the right thing to do? Could we find an excuse why we shouldn't go in there? I mean, her life could be on the line. Is your life on the line? Have you been in that kind of a situation where your life is on the line? Amazing enough, all of us, our lives are on the line. Because if we try to come up with some excuse why we should not follow through with God's plan, what is the end result? The end result is eternal death. But Esther, and I'm sure she was really fearful, <clears throat> because this is no, no small matter. This is the king, and this is coming before the king in the palace there, and she's not supposed to do that. So <clears throat> it goes on... <clears throat> And it says uh, in verse 16, go, rather, uh, go gather together all the Jews that are in the present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Because this is what, this is what she, she's, uh, she, needs, she needs the help. She needs the support from her church family. And she knows by prior experience through her life and her training from, I believe it's her uncle, Mordecai, to trust God. But this is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty, pretty big thing here. And so she says, fast for me and neither eat nor drink for three days or three nights I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. This was her decision. We can either come up with an excuse, whichever, whatever we do, it's going to be a decision. 
She made her decision for God, and she prayed. And so Mordecai, Mordecai went his way and did according to what Esther had commanded him. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house. This is her plan. As she talked with God, as she prayed, God gave her this plan. So it says, uh, um, and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Can God work in any circumstance? Is there anything too tough for God to do? You know, so as Mordecai sent his message to Esther, and God is working in all of this, God is sending his message to his bride right now. And we are his bride. And what are we going to do with the message that he's giving us? You know, I... (laughs) I have to tell you something that in my life and I shared this not long ago with the elders and the pastor and uh, but I do have one correction in it that I need to make and that's I had told him that a, a year ago but it was actually two years ago that God convicted me that my life needed all of him. And I had only been given him a little bit of me, part of me, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. But is that sufficient? Is that enough to be satisfied with God? You know, years ago, there was a song that came out. It was called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And I won't even tell you who it was wasn't a good song. But I want to tell you that we can get satisfaction. That we can be satisfied. If you turn to, uh, uh, let's see, I believe it's Psalms 17. And we'll be looking at verse 15. And it says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Now, I believe there's two meanings here in this verse. When those who awake from death and are resurrected, they will wake 
unto satisfaction. It will be satisfied in Christ's righteousness. And at the same time, we who are alive right now, we need to awake with the likeness of Jesus. Um, let's see here. I think that um, one of my problems was I didn't want to give all myself. Do you know how scary that is? To surrender your whole life to God? Because if we surrender our all to God, something's got to change. Something's got to change in our lives because when we partially give our lives to God, it doesn't really work. I have to think of Daniel. And um, in Daniel 2, and the pastor's uh, talk last night was on Daniel 2, and it talks of this image. There's this image in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And this image was this image of, of, of a man. And this man had this head of gold and he had his, his breast, his arms of silver and his belly of, of brass or bronze and his legs of iron and his feet of iron and clay. Well, as I think about even Daniel and how he had to make some decisions and I, I got to tell you that Daniel was in a crisis because when Babylon took, uh, took him into captivity, that was a crisis in their lives. Complete upside-down change. But I can tell you that Daniel, well, let's put that more personal. We can't prepare for a crisis in the middle of a crisis. We need to be prepared. We, our lives, we need to daily walk with God, to communicate with God. And that's what Daniel did and his three friends. They had a daily relationship. So when the crisis came, their first reaction, like Nehemiah, was to trust in God. And Esther, to go to God. So we have in this dream, we have these kingdoms that are represented by these, by these metals. But I want you to realize that th there's also another application to this statue, to this dream. And this application is this, this great statue. It... Um, It, also, it represents kingdoms. I mean, let me back up a little bit. This statue is a man. And what does this statue represent? This statue represents sin. Because until it gets to the stone, 
All of these kingdoms represent sin. And it's funny that it represents, it's showing a man, a man of sin. And let's take and make this even more personal and say this man of sin is us because we are all sinners. And as we look at this, the head of gold in our lives is our mind. And if we only use the head of gold, you know, that is the thoughts. That is the, the knowledge that we have in our brains. And God gives us knowledge. But can knowledge save us? Can just having a head knowledge save us? It can't, can it? And as we look at the, uh, the silver, it represents the heart. We can have a heart kind of relationship, but if we don't have it with the head, then we're just working on feelings like, Praise God, praise God. But I have no knowledge. I don't study the Bible. I just have this heart knowledge. And each time we, we, we look at a different metal, there's a deterioration of the metal. There's a, a deterioration of value in the metal. We started out in the mind with the knowledge of God, and that's pretty rich, but we can't save us. And then we go to this, Heart, which with just heart knowledge, it was just the feelings, we can't, we can't be saved by feelings. And then there's another devaluation, and we go to the belly of brass, which represents, as could represent appetite. You know, we, we live to eat, or should we eat to live? And how does this fit in with the heart? And how does this fit in with the knowledge? And then we have the legs of iron, which means direction. Our legs carry us in directions wherever we're going. Are we, are we going in the right direction? And if you take these if you take the, the gold and if you take the silver and you take the brass and you take the iron, these four things, which we are showing to representing the body, if they aren't working together, if they are not in harmony with each other, then what happens? You know, it tells us in, um, oh, let's see, where'd it go? Um, I lost it. <laughs> um, so if these are not working in harmony, oh, here it is. It tells us in Matthew 12, um, 
25. It says, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. So this kingdom of this man and these different metals and they're devaluating as, as they go down, is that what happens in our life? That as we start out with a head knowledge and then we have a heart knowledge and we don't put them together and we, our appetite is wild and we're eating whatever and it's causing our brains not to work with our hearts and then we start having body problems and we start going to the wrong places to look for answers to figure out what's going on. And then we have the feet of iron and clay. And we know that the clay does not mix with the iron, but what does the iron represent? The iron represents strength as well. And the clay represents our faith, our relationship with God. And since iron and clay don't mix, if we are not seeking God in harmony all the way, when it gets to the iron and clay, we can't have God. We can't have the fullness of God with the iron. The only way that we can have this fullness with Jesus is to trust in the rock that's going to come. See, that rock's going to come and it's going to crush the statue. And it's going to be turned into dust and it's going to blow away like chaff in the wind. What we need to do is we need to fall upon the rock of Christ, our Savior, instead of the rock falling on us. Because there's only two ways it's going to happen. Either we fall upon the rock or it's going to fall upon us. You see, all these kingdoms war against God. All the kingdoms that Daniel saw, they war against God all through time. Showing us the results of what happens to the person who rejects Christ's salvation in their personal life. The end result is not good. So I have some questions that I want to ask you. And the first question is, how much of our love do we want to give to God? How much of ourselves do we want to give to God? Do you want to give all to God? Do you want to give partly to God? It's just like these meetings that are going on. We've been... We've been praying, and God has been blessing. Last night was just magnificent. It was just, it was so exciting to see all these people there and and the joy that was in their hearts. Well, I got to tell you that this is all fantastic. And if all those people go through and all those people are baptized, and if they come back and they join this church, 
And we're all just like Laodicean. We're all sleeping. We haven't awoke in the likeness of Christ. What's going to happen with all these people that come in? Are they going to see this joyful house and want to continue on with it? You know, in, in, in my life, I realize that I got to come out of my comfort zone. Do you have a comfort zone? I had a comfort zone, and I didn't want to come out of it. You know, it seemed to be okay. But Jesus has given us enough information in his word, and we can know where we're at. We're at the end of time. And we don't have time to be half-hearted. We need to be wholeheartedly serving Jesus. We need to come together as they did on the day of Pentecost. And we need to pray together. When you, when you hear the Holy Spirit telling you to do this or that, to stay for the prayer, or to stay, or to, or to go to this meeting, or to go to this Bible study, or to mention your testimony to this person, this divine appointment that God has set up and you've passed it by. God is working in each one of our lives. But he's not working for the singleness, but he's working for the multiplication. He's working for us all to come together. And I can tell you, I've, I've, I've been so excited this past year. We've been studying the book of Revelation in a small group. And I've been through Revelation before. I've been through Daniel, and I've seen the prophecies. But we started doing a study in in, with a 3ABN program called In Salvation, Symbols, and Signs with Ivor Myers and um, James Rafferty. And I have to tell you that the insight that God is giving these people because of their studying and their prayer time and their connection with God, he has given them the insight to share with us a deeper revealing of these prophecies an unfolding more of the onion. And it has just been an incredible journey. Right now, we're, we're even doing uh, Daniel. And uh, I believe we just, uh, we were on Daniel chapter 3. Or did we get into 4? I think it was 3. And uh, I... The application is to us. You know, what is prophecy for? What is prophecy for? Prophecy, the pastor shared it last night, prophecy is to bring us to Jesus, to lead us to Jesus, because all prophecy leads to Jesus. If you want to get excited, start studying prophecy. But first, before you do, start with prayer. And it helps to get together with other people and to study God's word. 
And because God gives each one of us peace. Because, you see, God, as he put Daniel and he put the three Hebrews in Babylon, in this kingdom, and as he put Nehemiah as a cupbearer, and as he put Esther as a queen, he has a place for each one of us to fulfill. And if we don't fulfill that spot, what happens to that spot? Somebody misses out. Somebody doesn't get to hear the word of God because we have not presented it. So do we really want to give God our time? Do you really want to give God your time? I do. As scary as that might seem. Because we don't know. When you pray and you ask God to change your life and you say, I'm going to give you all my heart. He says, okay. Are you ready for this journey? Because here we go. Because God will change you if you don't resist the Holy Spirit, if you let the Holy Spirit come into your heart. So what is most important in your life? What is the most important thing in your life? Is it your relationship with Jesus? I hope so. So how do we make these changes in our lives? Well, Brent was sharing about the oil last week. But I can tell you that by beholding, we become changed. We also, as it says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it says to examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. So how do you examine yourself? Well, look at your life. What are you doing? Are you satisfied with that relationship with Jesus? Are you, are you good with when opportunity comes and you don't take advantage of it to share the word of God? Is, is, are you satisfied with that? By beholding, we become changed. By beholding, we become changed. And by remembering... You know, in the book of Revelation, I think it talks, talks about, it mentions the word behold, I think like 27 times, something like that. Behold, behold, behold. And in my life, I decided that by beholding Christ, not beholding the world, but by beholding Christ, in everything I do, something's got to change for the better. We can't do it, but he tells us to behold, you know, to read the word, the manna. You see, the, the children of Israel, back in the day, they, were not, they became unsatisfied with the manna. And we do know that the manna represents God's word. The Lord says, taste and see. Taste and see. It is good. God's word is good. So by beholding his word, by remembering and by hearing, sometimes we can just shut off everything around us and we don't want to hear it. And when God is speaking to our hearts, we don't want to hear it. But he continues to speak to us. 
Don't push away the Holy Spirit. So we, and we hear and we see. Do you see God working in your life? Do you see God working in other people's lives? Do you see God working in this church? Do you see God working in the community? I seen God working in the community last night. It was beautiful. Also by doing. All these things in that statue have to work together. I know Ivor Myers had even mentioned, he says, um, you know what this statue reminds me of? This dream? And when the stone hits it, he says it's like baptism. And when you're baptized and you're going down the waters, it's like these, all these kingdoms all at once just coming down and dying as you go into baptism, as you go into the water. It's a beautiful thought. And we need to pray for understanding as we read, for God, as we read God's word. And we also need to reflect everything that he shares with us. We're in the darkness of this world and and our light comes from our Savior. The other day, I want to end with this. The other day we had a a meeting and Patty, uh, or a class, and she taught us about fibrillators. uh, What's the whole thing? AED. And um, and taught us how that these fibrillators, that when you apply it to the person when they're in a heart attack mode, that it detects a, a rhythm, a heart rhythm. But she also told us that if there is no heart rhythm, if they're flatlined, there's no hope. You can't, you can't bring them back. But these fibrillators detect some kind of rhythm and they figure out that rhythm and they give this shock accordingly to shock that heart back into a rhythm that would sustain their life. You know, Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> in, the, in the book of Daniel, he had a heart rhythm. He had somewhat of a rhythm. It was weak. It was so weak at first, hardly detectable. But God took that rhythm and he shocked him. He shocked him with the dream. It was incredible. And then he shocked him with another dream. With a vision of this tree. And then he shocked him with seven years as crawling around like an animal. Until he gave all praise and glory to God because he knew each time he was growing but God didn't give up on him. And if there's hope for Nebuchadnezzar, there's hope for you and I. Just don't resist the Holy Spirit and go flatline. Because then there's no hope. But I believe there's hope for every one of us here today. 
And so as we, as we end this, and Wayne had mentioned that we were going to have prayer, I would like us to have that prayer right now. And so if we could have a couple of deacons with the mics, and I would like us to pray for the meetings that are going on. And there's also um, online Bible studies that are happening. And uh, we need to pray for those. And uh, we also had a final empire meeting at the thrift store, which was another Voice of Prophecy uh, program. And it was four nights. And we had several people from that. And, um, and we invited them to come to the uh, Revelation, Discover Re Re Revelation Seminar. And uh, some are. And so let's pray for all these people and pray for the ones that are even yet to come. And pray for the pastor. And pray for us as a church that we can continue praying because I got to tell you, there is power in prayer. We've seen it through Nehemiah. We've seen it through Esther. We've seen it through Daniel. You've seen it through the Hebrew, the three Hebrews, Meshach and his brothers. We've seen it all through the scriptures that there is power in prayer. So if you would kneel with me, we will pray. And I will go ahead and open up with prayer. And then uh, as the deacons could hand the mic, and the deacons are welcome to pray as well. And we'll pray for a little bit, and then I'll go ahead and close at the end, as we have a, if, if there's a long pause. <clears throat>